When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The following podcast contains explicit language. Well, I'm just very upset by it all. You know, and it's, it's devastating. Yeah, for her, but not for you. Am I not allowed to feel sad for somebody else? Jimmy, if someone died that you didn't know, would you be sad? Don't. That's not fair. Jimmy, please don't answer that question, okay? Okay, look, look. You asked me to be honest, so I'm just going to say this. I think you've decided that this matters to you because you have nothing else. Hey all, this is Represent and I'm Aisha Harris. Welcome back. So there's a new show that premiered recently on TBS called Search Party, and that's the clip you just heard at the top of the show. But before we get to that conversation, I wanted to chat about one of my favorite new shows from 2016 and also one of the most hotly debated. Issa Rae's long-awaited HBO series about the Black L.A. dating scene, Insecure. And returning to the show is Jezebel's Kara Brown. Welcome back to the show. It's so great to have you on again. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and I've been loving Insecure. And I actually, I don't know if you loved Insecure, but I I know you've been watching it. I do love Insecure. Okay, good. All right, good. (laughs) So we're both on the same page. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, Insecure has been really great. And I, I feel like there was so much build up just from the time that like Issa sort of popped off with Awkward Black Girl and the deal with HBO. And, you know, we've just been talking about this show, I feel like, before anyone's even seen it for so long. And so it was so amazing, too, to finally see it and have it, I feel like, live up to exactly what I was hoping for it to be. Yeah, I agree. I actually feel like it's a show that got better as it went along for sure the first episode i i enjoyed it and i was happy to see her on again and and using sort of the same devices that she used in awkward black girl like the (laughs) rapping rapping to herself (laughs) i used to keep a journal to vent now i just write raps go shawty it's my birthday but no one cares because i'm not having a party because i'm feeling sorry for my But then at the same time, I felt like it didn't feel as funny as I wanted it to be. And then as the relationships between herself and Lawrence, her her boyfriend, who she seems sort of stuck in a rut with, and her relationship with Molly, her best friend, I, I just felt like that all unraveled in ways that felt really real and also just even funnier than I, I, I had hoped. Yeah, the authenticity of it was really felt and also just being in LA as someone who lives in LA and the music and everything about it, even like the clothes, her hair, like everything to me just felt like super personal and, and really real and like an attention to detail and to these characters. It feels like 
all of them are real to Issa and to the team. Yeah. So I want to, obviously, Insecure, I think, is is probably one of the best sort of relationship dramas or comedies we have right now for Black women. But I want to fan it out a bit, the conversation, because you can't really talk about this show without looking back to sort of the influences that it clearly has. And I think I talked about this a bit on the Double X Gap Fest a month or so ago, back when they were talking about Insecure. And one of the things that struck me about just the premise to begin with was the fact that unlike a lot of shows, even regardless of whether it's black women or white women, unlike a lot of shows about specifically about dating, this is a show that starts off with Issa and throughout the rest of the season is her already being in a relationship. It's not that she's like looking for one. She's in one mm-hmm. and she's unhappy in it. And if you compare that to something like Girlfriends, which I think it has a lot of influences there, the the show that Mara Brock Akil started uh, that was on for like, I think, six or seven seasons. William, just say happy birthday. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. So... How old are you? 26. I lied. I'm 29 today. And according to my life's day planner, I should have it all by now. The career, the husband, the kids. So if I say 26 and I bought myself some time, okay? Human living single from the 90s. So we gonna hook you up. Hold up. A date is not gonna make Sinclair's life any better. Now, Khadija, just because you ain't getting any don't mean your whole family has to go without. <laughs> just because I'm not giving it away with a double coupon don't mean I don't get some. <laughs> and plus, Sinclair can make up her own mind. Now, Sinclair, do you want these two horny toads hooking you up with some sorry excuse for a date, or do you want to run your own life? I want a date. <laughs> Insecure is about a woman who's already in a relationship and is not happy. That's something that I really appreciated and thought was interesting. Yeah, and a woman who had options <laughs> as a black woman where I feel like, you know, you have the kind of the Mollies or Tony from Girlfriends who they were always on the search for this very specific thing and it seemed very elusive in part because of their own hangups and their own shortcomings and, and, and things like that. But I really liked with Insecure where Issa had this boyfriend and, you know, and she wasn't happy with it. And she had other options outside the relationship. And I feel like a lot of times with, like, black women, you don't really see us on screen getting to, like, pick from a bunch of people um, who want to be with them. Right. That, that's the thing. It's, it's that idea of the black woman as undesirable, which goes right. way, way back. And obviously Issa... Like she, both Issa the character and Issa the real life person. I think it's great that the real life Issa gave herself that choice. And as my producer <laughs> has reminded me, she not only gave herself choices, she gave herself very attractive choices. I mean, I personally yeah. think Lawrence is. I think Lawrence is actually way better looking. Or at least he's more my type. I don't. Yeah, know. <laughs> I mean, my favorite in the show was um, that was Molly's little enterprise dude yeah um, he was very cute he, yeah but they all like everyone <laughs> like every guy on the show was True. really attractive <laughs> i kind of appreciate that was one of the things i remember that mindy kaling kind of i don't think she i don't know if she said this or i i saw someone who wrote about it 
but she basically was just like casting hot guys that she got to make out with <laughs> on the Mindy Project. And I was like, well, you know, I can't, can't knock that. If you, if you, if you can, it's nice work if you can get it. Yeah, we can say whatever we want to say about Mindy Kaling's right, um, yeah. choices. And she has come under fire in the past for only casting white guys to be her romantic partners although and you and i think both we stopped watching the series a couple of seasons back but yeah i do know that she she addressed this issue with it with an episode which i actually watched in preparation for this show it's called bernardo and anita and it was from last season earlier this year it came out it's funny you're the first indian guy i've ever gone on a date with <laughs> no i'm serious i don't think i know any indian people except my family do you hang out with a lot of indian people yeah actually I was in an Indian fraternity at Berkeley. I go to Temple once a month, and I came in second in the National Spelling Bee. I lost on Xanthosis. I also lost a Spelling Bee when I misspelled my last name on the entry form. I guess I just identify culturally as Indian, you know, because I am one. Oh, me too. I identify as Indian too, big time. And she addresses it by going out on a date with an Indian guy who calls her a coconut, which was something I'd never heard of. But I guess apparently <laughs> apparently every non-white demographic or a lot of them have these in words that they use to address other people who are white on the inside and something else on the outside. So like it's like right. Oreo for black people. And then coconut uh-huh. for Indian people, <laughs> but I think yeah. I think that that episode which I watched was did a pretty good job of addressing that and her issue with that. Yeah, and I, I remember there there were some really smartly written things about that when it all because I feel like it took a few seasons of the Mindy Project before people started talking about that. But even that aside, like if you're like okay, she she's just dating white guys. The fact that race was never discussed within those interracial relationships, it is kind of weird to act like that's not happening when in real life, I'm sure both people are very aware of the situation that they're in. One of the one of the pieces that was written about this uh, that I think was very interesting, and it was from our fellow guest co-host, Alex Jung. He wrote a piece for Vulture so actually around the the coconut episode praising the episode for doing what it what the show hadn't done before and his issue wasn't like it's not that she only dates white guys it's just that when you're dating interracially these things are going to come up in some way you are going to maybe have your your boyfriend or girlfriend say something that's not too you know kosher um so friends or family that are right or in friends and family who are like totally like do say stupid stuff or or could be totally racist so living in that fantasy world was was the issue and i mean being mary jane if we're gonna talk about these interracial relationships and especially for women of color there was that episode last season where she was dating a white guy and being mary jane is very much i think well, I guess it, it fits in the same vein as all these other shows like Girlfriends and mm-hmm. Mindy Project, where it's like very specifically about the romantic lives of these characters and these women of color. And in, in the first episode, I think it gives the, the statistic about black women being like not married, the number of black women who yeah. are not married and very, very specific about that. And she, after all of these, all of the stuff she goes through, she like winds up dating a white guy and then breaks up with him and she tells him very flat out, you know, like, I don't want to have to explain my blackness to you. You don't understand. 
Please enlighten me. I don't want to. I don't want to have to explain to you why, as a woman of color, I have to overanalyze everything that I do at work or explain what my kitchen is. Not that kitchen, which is precisely my point. And mm-hmm. I, I had never seen something like that before with with handled on TV in that way with, with a woman of color dumping someone or even just engaging with their interracial relationship in a way that's like, I can't, you, we're, we're too different or like yeah. you don't understand. Do you remember the movie uh, Something New with Sanaa Lathan? Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. So that was a film that was now maybe about 10 years old, but mm-hmm. it was Sanaa Lathan and I'm not remembering the Simon, actor's name. Simon Baker. Simon, yeah, Simon Baker. And basically she's a successful black woman and this very attractive white man was like contracted to do her backyard and he's a landscaper and, and they fall in love and they start dating and it's about... Um, there's sort of some class issues, but obviously the race issues between the two of them and how they navigate through that. And there was a scene there where um, Sonali was talking about one of her bosses who said something that was maybe a little racist or they were keeping her out of meetings. She worked at a predominantly white company and her boyfriend didn't quite get it. And she had this moment where she's like, I, you know, if it's two black people saying, you know, my entirely white office, like they didn't call me for this thing. We sort of know the undercurrent of that. And like, we know it's not being said and, and he didn't quite get it. And she had this moment where she's like, I don't want to have to listen to this stuff to you or explain to you why this is racist or not. Okay. And like, that's very real. I totally forgotten about that. I need to rewatch that movie. Yeah. It's a good movie. It's good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And I love Sinai Lathan. And so Maybe being Mary Jane was not necessarily the first to do that, but it definitely, I mean, those are the only two examples that I can think of where you have that, right. that tension. And I mean, and part of that is like, we haven't had a, sh- we haven't had a bunch of shows like being Mary Jane where that would have come up because if you are a black woman or a woman of color and you've dated a white guy or white woman or whatever, like these things have come up in your life and you have those experiences and they would translate into your art probably. So it's also the fact that like, if we had had five other opportunities to have a show like being Mary Jane, it probably would have come up. Um, And I can't remember on girlfriends because when Tony ultimately, she married a white guy. Yeah. Um, And I feel like it was, that was treated as a really, like it was a lot of just jokes about it. I don't remember really like, poignant moments about what we're doing here. It felt like a lot of them kind of having a funny joking relationship about those differences, which is also, you know, one way to handle it. Yeah, I don't really remember it being a big deal either. I do know that when she first started dating him, one of them, I think Maya makes a joke about how like she because she was like, I don't know about him. And Maya's like, what? We know it's not because he's white, because you've dated white guys before. It's probably because he's short. Like, I, I think the thing was, he was, yeah. he was a short guy. Yeah, and that was like a big part of it, too. Do you remember that there was an episode of The Fresh Prince? Yes. Where one of the aunts brings home a white guy yes, and for Car- Christmas? And Carlton sings Jungle Fever. The world is black. The world is white. It turns by day. And then by night, since she's got jungle fever, he's got jungle fever, they got jungle fever. 
we're in love. <laughs> yeah, I very, I very specifically remember him singing Jungle Fever, and the whole and the rest of the family was like, "What is going on?" Yeah, like, a- like everyone gets really quiet, and <laughs> you know, and they're like trying to dance around the fact that he brought this white guy. Um, like home for Christmas. That was a good episode. That was a good episode. Do you think that Insecure will try to wade into that? As far as I know, if I'm remembering correctly, Molly hasn't, on the show at least, she hasn't dated a white guy. If anyone's going to date a white guy, I feel like it's going to be her. It would be Molly. Yeah. She had, do you remember the moment, I think it was in the second to last episode of the season, where... Um, Issa introduced her to the teacher at the school where she worked. Yeah, he was Asian. Asian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she made some not okay remark. I think she called him like Jackie Chan or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and that was an interesting moment because I was like, this guy is cute. He's interested in her. You know, like he comes up and he's like clearly feeling her. And she was in like a weird headspace clearly, but that was that felt like a hint towards maybe that issue coming up. Yeah. I would like him to be back more in the short in the show more because I really like him. And then there's also one of Molly's coworkers, the Asian girl who's with the black guy. Yes, yeah. Which is interesting that it's never I haven't we haven't really seen an interracial couple that's black and white on the show. Yeah. I that I, I kind of appreciate that to be honest because I feel like we yeah. that that's just an issue where whenever we talk about interracial dating it's always one of the one of them is white. Right. Well, I f- obviously I think we could talk about this forever, but to wrap it up, I I think one of one of the most fascinating things I read about about insecure and the way it sort of revolutionized the way we look at black relationships in Very Smart Brothers, which is probably one of my favorite blogs, and um, Damon Young, who I, I don't know personally, but I am acquainted with. Um, he wrote a, a really interesting piece, and it's called On Insecure's Revolutionary and Real Depictions of Young Black People Having Sex. And what I liked about it was that he point, pinpointed something that like I hadn't quite... I, I, I felt it, but I, I hadn't been able to like put put my finger on it exactly. And the fact that it, it shows black people having sex in the ways that we're so used to seeing white people have sex, but we rarely see like it's usually even when I think of a show like Queen Sugar, which I love, like the way that sex is portrayed there is very like beautiful and artsy and like just mm-hmm. like the bodies are glistening and I, I think that's great because we rarely see that either with black people but also he, could Ava DuVernay not shoot like a beautiful scene if it killed her no like it, yeah. there, there's like not an not an ounce of is, grit yeah. in her in her filmmaking and I love her for it um, but yeah like with Insecure we see black people just having sex like in different ways and in, in, in normal yeah. ways. Yeah, I remember thinking, it's a show on HBO, like, there's gonna be naked people, I feel like, <laughs> and, and like, And one of the first with, like, a predominantly black cast that's, like, not The Wire. <laughs> right, and the, right. And people weren't really having, like, people had sex, but it wasn't, it was The Wire. Yeah, not often. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't often. Well, on that note, we won't spoil the end of Insecure for you if you haven't checked it out yet. If you haven't, you should. And I might even actually go back and rewatch it because I feel like there's just so much <laughs> that I missed the first time around. And it's just such a good show. Yeah, we have a lot to resolve next season. 
So now we will move into our plus or delta segment. And we've had a few listeners recently tweet us, and I realized we hadn't really been explaining uh, what the plus or delta segment was, at least not since we first started the show a few months ago. So just a quick refresher, the plus or delta comes from the sort of activist space. And our plus that we share is the one positive thing that has happened that we really appreciated that was like a good thing for representation. And the Delta is something that we think needs a little bit of work in terms of how they represent marginalized groups. So Kara, what is your plus or Delta? I will let you choose which one you'd like to do first. Um, Let's start with the bad and end on a good note. That sounds good. (laughs) So my Delta is going to have to be Kanye West showing up at Trump Tower to visit our, I hate just saying this, but our soon-to-be president. At the time of this recording, this has just happened this morning, uh, the news yeah. of him visiting. Yeah. So, I I mean, I have been a, I've been off Kanye for quite a while, and it's hard to even remember my tipping point, but I, I've, I've been side-eyeing, side-eyeing him for quite a while now, and this is kind of like the last straw and I feel like he's I mean I've already had my last straw but I feel like it's the last straw for a lot of others um where he's just down there for no reason no logical reason other than like you know to have us talking about this right now so I'm probably playing into exactly what he wanted but it's just this it's just more so than anything it now gives Donald Trump the ability to be like oh yeah look at my black friends like that's really the only thing this will accomplish for either of them. And I just find that very stupid. The one the one thing I do wonder, though, is like Kanye was just in rehab or in, you know, in the right. hospital a few weeks ago. Like, and it's really tough to tell with him. I think it's just worth pointing out either way that like, sometimes we can't tell if this is Kanye being Kanye or if this is Kanye, who has clearly struggled with some sort of you know, right. depression or mental health issues. And it's hard to know where that line ends and where it begins. Like, how do how do how do we judge this? For sure. Well, it just also makes me wonder, like, where his people are, because he's he, you know, he needs some people in his life, I feel like. And I wish they were there because yeah. we all need people. All of us need people. Yeah, he needs he needs that support system. And I don't know. I don't know if Kim is doing it or clearly he like doesn't want to listen if, if she is trying anything yeah that's sad what about your plus let's let's get happy for a second um well i <laughs> i feel like so the golden globes are kind of silly but just because you know there's the joke about them not being like a real award show and it's basically about whatever actor throws like the best party and schmoozes with the hollywood foreign press the most gets um gets the award, which is kind of true, but there were quite a few women of color who were nominated in the television category. So there's Issa Rae for Insecure, Gina Rodriguez for Jane the Virgin, Tracy Ellis Ross for Blackish, um, and they joined with Julie Louis Dreyfus, Sarah Jessica Parker, Rachel Bloom, 
So it was really nice to see all of them get a little love, even if I think that this award show is silly. (laughs) It's totally silly. And it doesn't really, sometimes it tells you maybe something about the Oscars, but it doesn't really. Right. Yeah. And, and we've already had, you know, so now like the Emmys will be at a year. So like, I'm hoping to see Issa there, but like Donald Glover got a lot of love and Moonlight got a lot of love. And that was nice to see, although it doesn't, like, you know, it doesn't make me super optimistic about the Oscars, um, because who knows? Funnily enough, my <laughs> my plus was also going to be the Golden Globes. Um, but I will get even more specific. And I will say I'm so happy that Viola Davis got nominated for Fences. I yeah. saw it last week. Oh, my goodness. She pours her everything and then some onto the screen. And... It's just I'm excited for people to see it and see just how well done that movie really is. Um, I'm really yeah. tired of living in a world where Viola Davis doesn't have an Oscar. Thank you. Like that is unacceptable to me. The woman should have a closet full of them. And I mean, 2017, 2017 is I don't have a lot of optimism about the year. But if it means her getting an Oscar, then then I will I will trudge on in to witness that. Yes, it. She uh, talk about a revelation. She is a revelation, and uh, it's so good. Uh, yes, so that is my my plus for my Delta. Uh, I mean, by the time this goes up on Friday, it's Tuesday now. This will be somewhat old news, but I feel like this is such a big, very frustrating thing that I have to mention. And it's the one thing that's been on my mind this entire time is the sort of controversy swirling around Trevor Noah, the Daily Show host, and Charlamagne the God, who is a radio personality, and their interactions about and around a blonde shock radio shock online personality who I will not even name here because it's annoying that I now know she exists. But anyway, Charlamagne the God um, after this interview that this woman did with Trevor Noah, um, and she's a very she's an alt right person who says a lot of alt right things about, or let's just call it it's racist, racist yeah. and, and and sexist things about our country. Everyone, everyone. <laughs> and Charlemagne the God decided to tweet that he wished more women of color had a like created their own platform in the way that this woman did to you know get things done and 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 do pro- and make progress and as you know <laughs> there are plenty of women of color who have platforms and are making their own platforms and who are going out and and trying to undo all the work that this woman and her cohorts are doing. You don't say Aisha Harris, host of Represent. You don't. You don't say. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yes, I. I think I could con- consider myself one of them. But it just—it's yet yet another example of a black man um, b- ignoring or just like yeah, ignoring because there's no way he can't know any black women he's, yeah. who have done He's an this. idiot. Yeah, he's... I mean, it's really... He's not bright, and he plays... It, it's the most frustrating thing about that it's just such an obvious act with him, and, and it works. It's just this, like, kind of playing dumb about stuff, even though he kind of knows better, but even though he kind of believes the stupid shit that he says, he's just like... Just really, I actually blocked him after all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have because, to. 
And earlier this year, I blocked Piers Morgan because I was like, this man is also an idiot who just says stuff for attention. And I don't like him and I don't need him in my life. And he's not relevant. And I blocked him and I had not thought about him for months. And it wasn't until recently where I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot Piers Morgan even exists. Didn't he say something about Madonna again for like the hundredth time recently? Yeah, like every once in a while he kind of rolls around. But I was shocked at how effective that was. And so after all this, I blocked Charlemagne and I'm hoping to not think about him for at least three months. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah. Essentially, I I, I point this out not just to um, voice my frustrations, but also to say, you know, Pick up a book. <laughs> Go- listen to this Google. podcast. <laughs> yeah, listen to this podcast. Google. You will find no, like, no, like, so many women. And and that was what it was also, the, the one silver lining is that when he wrote that black Twitter came for him and they just listed off all the many other, other women of color, black, Latina, Asian, who are doing the damn thing. And it does not matter if Charlamagne the God doesn't know they exist. Like, screw you (laughs) well thank you so much Kara for coming on have a happy holiday Uh, thank you thank (laughs) you and um, we all better buckle down for 2017 now we're going to pivot over to TBS's search party which as I mentioned earlier in the show is a mystery meets satire starring Alia Shawkat as Dory a millennial hoping to find the missing college classmate Chantal she never knew and in turn find herself. Okay, so the way I put that last part makes the premise sound like girls meets gone girl. And if you're anything like me, I don't really like girls. I thought it was pretty terrible. But unlike girls, the dialogue is smart, scathing, and very funny. And the characters, which include Dory's boyfriend, Drew, and her best friends, Elliot and Portia, are a treat to watch even if they are simultaneously insufferable and narcissistic. You might already be familiar with writing duo Sarah Violet Bliss and Charles Rogers if you've seen their indie film Fort Tilden, which also deals harshly with a self-absorbed millennial. The three of us dove into a conversation about their new show and how it reflects the lives of the young and privileged and also chatted about activism in our post-election era. Check it out. Thank you so much for joining me today, Charles and Sarah. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank, Thank you, you for having so us. so much for having us. So in the first episode, Dory asks, would anyone even care if something bad happened to me? And this is in regards to Chantal, who's just been missing a, a girl slash, I guess, college, uh, former college um, colleague who she only vaguely knew but wasn't really friends with and that question seems to be the driving force behind Dory's curiosity with Chantal's disappearance and what kicks off this entire season and I'm curious as to whether that question was something that motivated you to tell the story or whether there was another sort of factor about yourselves that you were trying to find while writing and telling this story. I think at first we we really just liked the idea that this was a story about someone who was so um, consumed by like having this existential quest to find somebody else. 
And then later we found sort of the more intricate reasons. But I, I like that Dory actually lists like several different reasons throughout the season. Like later she says, you know, she feels like she was overlooked in life and, and Chantal is overlooked too. And sometimes in stories, people have too clear of motivations for what they're doing. And mm-hmm. I think in real life, we have lots of unconscious motivations and a lot of them are selfish. Some of them are altruistic, but we're never really in control or command of them. And I I think that kind of factors into the show. Like, Dory is looking for Chantal. She's not exactly sure why, but she can voice some of the reasons. But it actually might not even be that because sometimes it's, you know, I think her impulses are more unconscious than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the interesting thing about Dory is that out of all of the characters within the story, including her friends, like she's the one who seems the least sure of herself. And the way it unfolds is just really, really fascinating. And so one of the things that you guys seem to really, between this and your first feature film that you guys did together, which was uh, Fort Tilden, you you kind of dig into this world of privilege and of privileged people and and what that's like, especially privileged people who are millennials. And it seems safe to say that the majority of people can check off at least one box of some sort of privilege they possess. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, for myself, like I grew up fairly well off in like an upper middle class environment. So I had access to things that I realize a lot of other people have not had access to. And I'm curious, like, what? when did you first become aware of your own bu- bubble or privilege? And what does that privilege look like for you? We have different stories. Yeah, we, we have different. Yeah. Sure, I would, I, would, I would love to hear we both of them. We grow up together. Yeah. Um, I very, very, very early on understood my privilege because... There was, I feel like there was a lot of teaching in the classroom, like not everyone has what you have. You like there are people suffering everywhere. And I can't remember a time that I didn't know that I was privileged. But from even from very early on now, I can see where this kind of like what what Charles and I explore in terms of this privileged world began very very early and like oh well it's okay because we know that we're privileged you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if it's just it, it, as long as you know then and you're you're you know acknowledging it then maybe I'm doing enough. Mm-hmm. What about for you, Charles? I grew up in a really weird place on the border of Texas and Mexico at the very bottom. And it's like, uh, it's the, was for a long time until like last year, the lowest mm-hmm. income district in America. And it has the highest amount of illegal immigrants and incest and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of extreme statistics. And uh, the high school that I went to was le- uh, the only private school in town and was sort of like the cultural epicenter of like that whole region. And the cost of living is so low in that area that if you have any money, which would be not money in the rest of the world, like you are rich. And so the like the little socialite culture on my school was extremely entitled and ultimately delusional. And uh, I think what I saw from that was I knew that I was privileged because everyone around me was was like as poor as you can get in the U.S. And I felt very different from all the people in that community because the privilege that they had was just so entitled and not realistic. And if you left the town, you'd be like, well, that's so stupid. Um, 
you're allowed to feel so entitled to have a point of view that is selfish or unreasonable or out of touch with other people. And there's so much comedy to mine with that. And I don't think that's necessarily a condition that it was exclusive to the place I grew up in, like living in New York for five years. It's like entitlement is universal. And that's often the funniest character trait to represent. So comedically, it's like so fun for us to write characters like that. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be sort of my follow up question, which is how does that sort of your awareness and your own self-awareness um, manifests itself in the cre- the characters you create. I see a little bit of, like, well, actually, I see a lot of it in the characters in Search Party and everyone from Elliot, who is um, the her friend within the friend group. He's the one who is a, I, I, I want to say he's just a compulsive liar. I think that's just <laughs> what he, he does, May, maybe bordering on sociopathy a little bit. But, you know, you, you have all of these these characters, like you say, who <laughs> feel like they can say whatever they want without any of the consequences. So, like, what? how does that sort of manifest itself within the characters you're creating in Search Party? And, and what do you hope these characters, like, I don't know, I don't know if learn is the right way, but, like, what do you hope that they are coming out of these experiences having? Or do you think there is? Because I, I feel like Elliot, out of all of them, probably is the least changed um, despite having the exposure of his lies uh, midway through the season. I think that when when we write together, I feel like we don't really have a like an a moral agenda necessarily. Like I I like that in the show, even though these characters grow, I think it's it's not so much that they grow that rather than that they um that they change. And I think like they experience varying levels of self awareness and we're keeping in mind the audience more than the characters in that like we want to reveal things about the characters to the audience rather than sort of profess like a a path that these characters can be on because I don't think that life necessarily works that way your adult life at least yeah i mean one of the characters drew who plays plays dory's boyfriend uh, he is he's sort of the nice guy quote unquote i think even at one point one character refers to him as a nice guy and i found his character to be the most frustrating i think out of all of them um just because he clearly sees himself as a nice guy who does the the what's supposed to be the right things and he doesn't really like conflict conflict mm-hmm. but then he's also just as self-absorbed as the rest of the friend group and i was curious as to like can you talk a bit about your inspiration for his character? For me, at least, he comes across as the very de- definition of the good, the quote unquote good white liberal mm-hmm. who, <laughs> like, in theory, is a good person and thinks things he, he or he or she considers themselves to be open minded, but then in practice is not necessarily so. Um, so I would love to hear a bit about like what that character means to you. Yeah, I think that he's like the epitome of the the person who just wants a nice life and wants to continue to live in his bubble and not have to confront anything about himself. There is like a certain straight white man who just like might as well love everyone because he hasn't really thought about everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and so like mm-hmm. that doesn't make him nice necessarily. Yeah. It just means that he does hasn't formed his relationship with um with with anything he's not familiar with. Yeah, for sure. The, another character who I found interesting was Julian. Julian is Dory's ex-boyfriend, and he kind of weaves in and out of the the narrative. And he, I found him interesting because he, out of 
all the characters, including even most of the adults in the show, is sort of the most pragmatic and sort of um, he 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 gives everyone a like he gives them a harsh dose of reality, whether it's Dory or Elliot. And he just is just very practical. And I'm curious if I'm reading too much into this, but he is one of he's he's his character. He's played by a black actor. Was he originally going to be? Was he always written as a black actor or was that just the way casting shook out? I think, yeah, he was always supposed to. We always wanted Julian to be black. I think the starting place for that really was that we wanted Julian to be the opposite of Drew in every way. So that like Drew, Drew was not satisfying Dory and there was someone from her past who was just different from Drew. And Mm -hmm. that was like always calling her back. And then I think his being black didn't necessarily factor into the way we thought about his personality and like the way the character contributes to the story. It was more, that Julian represents people who see the world in a very black and white way, whereas all the other friends sort of have a more like nebulous relationship to ethics. Julian believes there is a right way to do things in a wrong way. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, well, both of you mentioned earlier um, when we were discussing sort of your being aware of the things you have that others might not have and the opportunities you've had. And what Search Party, I think, does a really good job of is critiquing the way in which so many of us channel all of our, quote unquote, action into social media as opposed to actual action in the real world. Mm -hmm. And now that we are coming up on this post-Obama era and entering into the age of Trump, Mm -hmm. how do you suggest that people take real concrete action to affect change? And what kind of action do you personally plan to take, whether it's, you know, in your own work or in other through other avenues? It's such a good question, Um, because I'm in I'm like in a period right now where I'm really trying to figure that out. And it's very confusing. And um, I don't even know what I think yet and like have a hard time having any and there's so there's so many mixed signals out there and like like sign this petition no that's why it's stupid to sign this petition don't do that this is why we have to do this and this and like who knows what the right thing is i i never studied policy and i uh very like don't know how government works in a way that i wish that i did so i'm like at early stages right now of just like figuring out what it is that how how I want to contribute, and I definitely want to do it through my work, and that's a platform that I have now, and that just looking to see like what do I have and how can I make that work and is also just authentic to me. Mm-hmm. It's so confu- it's such a confusing like time because of social media's peak in this moment. Because on some level, I think social media does like contribute to the what it like the cultural consciousness or whatever and i think that that like on a spiritual level is meaningful and the more in the ether something is the more real and and the more you feel it but also it's so like you know for all the things the show talks about with social media i think in real life it's like you post something and you feel like you did your job and really like all you did was post something for your little world yeah um i should do do you have ideas? <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think we're very the our true privilege is that we have a television show mm-hmm. and and I think just and I, I don't want to sound 
uh, this sounds annoying, but I think it's cool that this show has an Arab American actress as the lead and there's lots of gay characters and it's about like uncomfortable things. And I think that's good for the world. (laughs) And, and so I think like now that we have this, if we're so lucky to have a second season, the context that the show is in is like a very different world because now we live in a Trump world and, our first season, I think, really explores like the intricacies of privilege and 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 all of like what it is, you know, all the things about privilege. But I don't feel that even privileged people are necessarily privileged anymore because now we're literally in like a very a do or die culture mm-hmm. uh, where we can't take anything for granted anymore. And so I don't know how we're going to show that if we're lucky enough to get a second season but i know that that will definitely factor into what we want to say and i and i just think the only thing we really have is art like if you're not working in government and you're not actually activating something related to policy and government then i think art is the only real answer yeah i mean i don't want to underestimate at all the how important it is to to keep having the types of TV and film that challenges what we have coming up ahead of us for the next four years. And I and I think it's it's just really funny how we're coming at this moment where we have all we have way more, I think, inclusion and diversity within our film and TV than we ever have at one time before. And I'll be curious to see if that sustains or if it gets even better in the face of Trump or are we going to mm-hmm. recede? It's scary. It's really scary. It is so scary. <laughs> I mean, to answer your question, Sarah, I don't, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I'm still trying to figure out like what to do, like what is the best way for me to use what I have? Um, you know, I think one of them is like, I've, I've met up with some, some friends and, and, and I think one of the things to do is to, we all have networks and the best way to, to try and get stuff done is to, to, put those networks together. We all have different people that we know who may have more access to government and other things. And I think just trying to corral your networks is one of the best ways Um, and reaching across different, you know, professions. Yeah. I was just thinking about it. When we, when I put together like a film set, I'm like, I don't pretend that I know how to gaff. I hire someone (laughs) who gaffs. And so I'm going to find that person and in that equivalent in the, in what we're talking about yeah. a political gaffer, <laughs> a political gaffer. <laughs> and and help me out and obviously um, yeah. vote locally like that's just yes. a big yes. thing yes. We, we all i myself yes. included need to get better about doing that vote vote locally I do too. <laughs> so for my final question i'd love for each of you to tell me the last time that you felt represented on screen like a month ago <laughs> i saw moonlight ah, and so good it's so good, so good. and it's like you know i think it, it it says the most about being a black gay man but i think it also just says stuff about masculinity and that was the first time that i was like oh it's it's nice to know that this is like a universal concern and that actually everyone is affected by the cruel chains of masculinity <laughs> and uh you know no one is exempt from it mm. it's really powerful that movie yeah oh, so good i've seen it three times now <laughs> it's great it's yeah. so so good um like i want to say flea bag but Ooh. it's not exactly right but, <laughs> but so good. yeah it's it's really good it's really, um really and great. 
what I like what I'm responding to is just this uh, a woman who's funny, but it's like if you watch the full season, you know, compensating for a lot of darkness that <laughs> that I carry. No. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, she's really relatable to me in that she um, has this sense of humor, but it comes from real tragedy experiences um i also don't want to ruin stuff so (laughs) but um um, but and then also just things that women deal with with each other um with her relationship with her sister and then with her her friend uh anyway fleabag it's just such a singular voice too yeah it's cool that like a singular voice can exist now yeah, that's uh, Phoebe Phoebe Waller Bridge is the star mm-hmm. and writer, and yeah, I agree. I I recently caught up with it, and it was really, it's dark. It's super dark. Yeah, but it's also just really really funny too. And yeah, I suggest everyone see it if they if they yeah. have a chance. So, so everyone see Moonlight and Fleabag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are two good things to see. And Search Party. <laughs> <laughs> yes, get that last get plug. Get all in. your friends together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. It was great having you thank on. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation. Yeah, it was so I good. loved it. Thank you. That's a wrap, my friends. It was great talking insecure and women of color dating on television with Kara. And thank you again to Sarah and Charles for chopping it up about millennials and privilege and all that jazz. You can find links to the things we touched on in the show notes. And as always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Megaphone, Stitcher, or any other place you find your podcasts. Please, please, please keep rating us on iTunes and keep telling your friends, family, parents, and whoever about the show. We really appreciate your support. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Verlin Williams. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is Chief Content Officer of Panoply, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Represent. The music you're hearing is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>